0: How did Bessemer's analyst program affect Talia's venture education and shape her personal style of investing? And given that college
1: is such a formative time for students to develop interests, how did she become involved as one of Dormroom Fund's earliest investment partners?
0: And stay tuned to find out what crucial piece of advice Talia has for students and people early in their career.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Dorm Room Fund Podcast. My name is Daniel Abul Hassan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Shu. Joining us this week is the amazing Talia Goldberg.
0: Talia joined Bessemer in 2013, where she has become the youngest elected partner in firm history. At Bessemer, Talia has partnered with countless startups, including Discord, Teachable, ServiceTitan, Dashlane, Pinterest, and many, many more. Talia graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, where she was a founding partner at the Dorm Room Fund. We're so excited to have her join us today. Talia, welcome on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here.
0: Let's jump right into it. Being that you're
1: a founding partner at VRF, could you talk about your experience first joining the community and how that ecosystem helped spark your journey into VC?
2: Sure. So when I joined Dorm Room Fund, Dorm Room Fund was really just an idea and was at the precipice of being formed. Um, and at the time in 2013 in Philadelphia, there weren't as many people as there are today, just given the ecosystem has grown so much that we're interested in thinking about startups and venture capital. Um, but there was a strong community. It was just small. And so I heard about First Round Capital, who, you know, is probably like the only um, VC that I knew that had a, an office, like not only in Philadelphia, but like on Penn's campus, like, I think it was like a few blocks away. They had this this office set up there. Um, And I got to know some of the folks there, like Finn and Josh and Aaron, um, some of whom are are no longer with first round, but live on in spirit. (laughs) And, And was just really excited by the types of companies that they were partnering with and the work that they were doing. And so when they had this idea of like, hey, let's give a bunch of students with zero investment experience, um, some money and see what happens. I was like, that sounds pretty fun. Uh, I should apply um, and see what we can create with it. And so our first year of building Dormer fund was really building, like figuring out what the model would be, how we would um, make investments, what that would look like and just what the whole process was, uh, but it was really fun.
1: One thing I learned during my time in Dormer fund thus far is that all partners have amazing stories What's a memorable moment from your time in DRF? You
2: know, one memorable moment is an anti-portfolio moment for DRF for us. Um, when we started in Philly, we had um, some students from Penn, including myself, um, as well as other students from the region and even the the, the New York and broader uh, Philadelphia area. And we had some students at the Drexel campus where GoPuff um, was started and founded, and it was just starting to take off locally at um, on the campus. And we had all heard about it, and we were like, "Ah, this is kind of interesting." But it was like the reputation was, "Hey, this is for kids that are drunk and need and want to smoke," and and hence the name Go Puff. And so it was like, ah, no way, this is going to go anywhere. And like, no way would we invest. Um, and I just remember that conversation conversation vividly. Um, and it's a good reminder to not laugh at things, even when they look weird um, in some way, shape or form when they get started, because, you know, GoPuff is now worth who knows how many billions.
0: That's interesting that you talk about the ANSI portfolio. I know uh, on the content team at DRF, we're actually working to build up our our own anti-portfolio, obviously inspired by Bessemer. So kind of going into Bessemer, you know, you work very closely with Jeremy and Bessemer has always prided itself on kind of having that mentorship model and being one of the only firms with a structured analyst program. How did Jeremy's mentorship and starting your career at Bessemer help you develop your own style and approach towards investing?
2: Like anything else, I think practice makes you Make, practice makes perfect. And so the more you do something, the better you can get at it. Um, I think that's very much true for investing. While there are people that are great operators and I've done really well starting companies or founding companies, it doesn't necessarily mean they're great investors. If you look at the history of the best investors in venture capital, they have really weird backgrounds. Like Mike Moritz was a journalist. Um, Jeremy, my colleague was like a born and raised venture capitalist effectively as well. Like it's all over the map. And so I think the message is there's no one path um but the analyst program is was set up to really be focused more on sourcing um and finding new investment opportunities and building out what we call internally roadmaps so they're like investment theses where you have to start to think critically like where are the really interesting next opportunities going to be formed how do i get up to speed and get really smart on those spaces and then find um the best companies and help to promote them internally and sometimes um uh having some of our best roadmaps and best ideas have often come from the analyst program um in fact twitch uh is a great example of it where one of our one of our analysts at the time like saw this thing that was just growing really fast twitch and everyone thought it was crazy that you would watch other people play video games online it was like what what are you doing um it was totally not normal yet in this country um but like part of that was kind of building the conviction around uh the thesis around esports and gaming and seeing his conviction in it that led to that investment. So the analyst program has been a big staple of Bessemer, both for finding new deals and making new great investments, but also for developing partners like myself, like my colleague Brian, and, and many others internally that have grown up at the firm. Um, I started to work with Jeremy actually more when I became an associate at Bessemer. The analyst program is... is horizontal. You don't work just in a mentorship model, but once you mature beyond the analyst stage, you do. And I think that's a really important model because I call it full stack venture capital. You see everything. You're not just working on diligence. You're not just working on sourcing. You're not just helping portfolio companies. You're expected to do it all. um, And you see it all and you learn it all. And so Bessemer has a big focus on helping to develop talent and has it has been very core to Bessemer's success over the past few decades. So I feel really lucky because I think it's probably the best place to learn how to be a great venture capitalist.
0: So on that point of you know personal development and doing these investment theses type of work, I know you wrote a piece with Gabby Goldberg and she mentioned how important your mentorship was in her personal career. And she's been crushing it in Web3 and, and a rising star in venture. Um, so, you know, I'm sure you were a very important resource in helping her decide while she was moving to TCG Crypto. So, maybe a bit more broadly, what career advice do you have for young people today who are kind of earlier in their career, but making really large, big decisions uh, in their career about risk, finding the passion, things like that?
2: The piece of advice I would give is is the thing that's been most beneficial for me, which is find great mentors and find people that not just are they great at what they do, but you look up to them as people and you're like, hey, i want to I would like like to be like you or I think you're a good person and I'd also want to be like you when I grow up. Um, and uh, and that they take an, they're excited to take an interest in you back. And I think that will make up in spades if you can find the combo of someone that is, or a group of people that are really talented at what they do, but also really great people that you'd like to emulate at some point in your life or, or at least elements of their life, um, that's worth much more at the early stages than compensation if, uh, uh, or things like title uh, or even um, having the exact perfect fit of an opportunity, in my opinion.
1: As you just highlighted, mentorship is the key to early stage growth which is especially important for underrepresented individuals. How do you create opportunities for female founders and investors in a VC world that lacks diversity?
2: So I spend a lot of time doing various mentorship related uh, programs for women in venture capital. And part of that is because I had a lot of, uh, I benefited a lot from some of these programs and just people who were willing to take an interest and reach out uh, or answer my emails when I reached out and start to get to know me and talk to me. Um, so I spend a lot of my time doing that with parity, with groups like all raise um, and, and others across the ecosystem. But most excitingly, I think that as we start to see and develop more and more really talented, diverse venture investors and partners, it'll naturally start to lend itself to more diverse um founders too, and portfolio companies. And so if I look at myself, I think it's not a coincidence that about half my portfolio is female founders. Um, it is, and, and so as the this data goes from, I think it was like 2% of, of partners at venture firms were female, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. And now it's like 12% um, or, or 15%. As that starts to shift, I think the uh, founders and the portfolio companies is a lagging indicator, but I think you're going to start to see that shift a lot too.
0: So kind of moving into um, your, your experience investing and diving a little bit deeper into, into the companies that you've done, did you come across any companies over the past decade that have drastically altered your investment philosophy, whether that be any investing rules or assumptions that you broke in investing in breakout companies or any startups in your personal anti-portfolio that you ultimately passed on, but did extremely well, like GoPov?
1: <laughs>
2: That's a good question. Um- I think almost every company in some way breaks some rule. And so I actually try really hard not to have any rules that I won't break because I'd otherwise always be breaking them. Um, And by nature, the companies that are the breakout successes are doing something different. And there's something special and unique and out there. And and they're not just doing what everyone else is doing. And so I, I do think it's really important not to have any specific rules.
0: 100%. And sticking with investing, we really like the piece that you wrote on the consumerization of the private markets and how changes in retail investing, the regulatory environment, and trends in Web3 around community ownership, all of those things would help take the private markets mainstream. And in March of 2022, so a little less than a month ago, you and the team at Bessemer launched Vesemer DAO and allocated a quarter billion to funding Web3. Can you give us an inside look for how that idea at the firm first originated and how Bessemer's crypto strategy differentiates the firm from other VCs investing in crypto?
2: Like most things at Bessemer, our investment in Web three and uh, and the resources that we're allocating to Web three is the culmination of what we call crawl, walk, run. Meaning things often start small and then they grow over time as we get success. We don't just wake up one morning we're like, oh my gosh, like we should go into Web three because like it seems like this is a big deal and it's working. Um, we uh, try and be really deliberate over time and start to invest behind success as we start to have theses and we see them play out um, more and more. And so. Uh, we've been investing in web3 for many years actually um, in smaller quantities but it's ramped up over time as the ecosystem has matured and uh, we also believe that the this is that this has the potential to be or already is a fundamental shift in the market and shakeup in the market where there will be a lot of new, types of businesses created new market structures, and where a lot of the existing incumbents will be unable or unwilling to compete um, at this phase. And there have been a number of different instances in which this has happened throughout internet history, you can look at um, the advent of the PC era and the internet and mobile where the whole landscape shifted really really quickly uh, and we see the same opportunity in web3 and as a result i think you're starting to see resources flow into the industry more and more as the opportunity is maturing a bit it's still not quite totally obvious so it's actually a really great time to be investing more into the ecosystem and we wanted to build uh, a fund and and, and have a or we wanted to allocate a certain amount of our fund and our resources and our time to not just investing and partnering with companies and entrepreneurs in that space, but actually in a way that much more embodies a lot of the ethos of that ecosystem and is community first and community led as well. And so sort of like dormer Fund in many ways is like a decentralized venture firm. I could You could think about it with, with a lot of different people all over different campuses. Um, I think uh, Bessemer wants to tap into a lot of the power of the community and the ecosystem uh, to help with everything from portfolio services and support. So helping with kind of talent matching and um, investments and sourcing and helping to find new investments and um, partner on new investments with community leaders and with the ecosystem in a really open and transparent way. So we're just getting started in it, but um, stay tuned for more over the coming months.
0: Yeah, for sure. I really like the comparison with DRF and kind of on that note back in 2012 when you were a college senior, um, you said that college students have an advantage as students because we know our peers and we live with and around them. And now with early stage venture firms hosting incubators for college students and student fellowship, I think Bessemer even has, You know, student fellowship and also uh, competition from these other college-focused venture firms. Are there any initiatives that you'd personally like to see come forth with DRF?
2: Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I I think DRF has an opportunity, and I think there are three things that DRF does really well. One, um, it's a great breeding ground for future venture capitalists. I think there's uh, now pretty long track record of a lot of different. Uh, partners at DRF that have gone into the venture ecosystem and become venture investors with some degree of success, um, if not a whole lot of success. And so that's really exciting. Um, second is that it is a great opportunity for finding you know new exciting investments. The whole thesis started, like all these great companies, Dell, Facebook were started in their dorm rooms. Um, but third is that it's also just a really amazing community of people Um, And I think the community piece is actually the piece where I think there's most opportunity to build more connectivity for dorm room fund, the portfolio companies, just the people in those ecosystems with um, other venture funds like Bessemer and just the tech ecosystem where, you know, we have a whole bunch of interesting portfolio companies that are recruiting. We have a whole bunch of um, interesting operating advisors and partners that are just thinking about these crazy weird ideas. And we just want people to talk to about them and to like spitball and to tell us like, you know, push on those ideas, tell us why that's crazy or why it's awesome and um, learn more from. And so I think having a blending of those communities a bit more is a really big opportunity. I actually think the biggest thing that I'd love to see from Dormer Fund is that you have to shift the narrative. A lot of times you'll have things like, hey, let's talk to this VC who's been doing it for 10 years or, you know, I don't know, I feel old. But actually, I think the best ideas often start with people that are your peers. And like, this is the industry that is all about meritocracy. and and democratization and finding great ideas and whoever you are, just run with it and go with it. At least that's the promise of this industry. And so I would like to have sessions where you all are pitching us on your exciting ideas and crazy things that you're thinking about and what's happening in your world, because that would be awesome. Um, And I think we need to do way more of that and way less of this.
1: (laughs) We'd love to do that. When we were researching for this episode, you said on a prior podcast that excellence is very much so related to personal growth and betterment. So in the pursuit of excellence, whether that be in your personal life or in venture, what's an area of personal growth for you in the past year? And what's an area that you're looking to improve on in this next year?
2: This next year, I had two New Year's resolutions. I actually tweeted them. I'm trying to hold myself accountable. I've done an okay job um, on one of them. The first is that I wanted to stop snoozing in the morning. I'm a, I'm guilty of pressing snooze regularly when I wake up. And it's just, it's just terrible. Like I might as well sleep an extra 30 or 40 minutes or I should just get up. Uh, and so I I am making a big effort to stop doing that and to just get out of bed when I want to get out of bed. Uh, and second is to have 10x my positive vibes. And I think that this is a really big a big one and one that I'm actually super excited about how it's been going so far this year. But I think so much of my life is so lucky, so fortunate. I get to spend my days talking to awesome entrepreneurs and people and working with great companies and, and learning from amazing entrepreneurs and, and colleagues. And yeah, there are problems and it's busy and it's hard and there's times that things are really anxious. But at the end of the day, like when you bring the energy, other people also bring the energy. And so it becomes like a mirror and it's super fun. And I think it just has so many benefits to mental health, physical health, uh, happiness uh, and, and perspective. So that's probably the biggest one for me.
1: I love those and are definitely like a couple of goals that I could improve on for this year as well.
0: Um, all right. So kind of wrapping up here. So my family is planning on making a trip to drive along the Oregon coast next year. Uh And I'm born in New York City, uh, lived in New Jersey, have a lot of pride about our pizza. So when I saw on your, on Bessemer's website that you have extreme pride in the ice cream and pizza shops in Oregon and how they're the best in the world, I'm going to withhold my skepticism a little bit and would just like to ask, you know, where are those shops in Oregon?
2: Yes, I love this question. I love pizza. I'm super passionate about it. I lived in New York for a while. I did many a pizza tour of New York. I have all my favorite spots, went to all the top spots. New York on average has way better pizza than Oregon, but the best pizza is still in Oregon. Like the average pizza in Oregon is kind of shitty, but the best pizza is at this place called a pizza shoals, A p a pizza shoals, S h s c h o l l s, And, um, just go report back. Let me know what you think. It's small. They make a limited amount of dough, I think, every day. So, you know, get there early and uh, enjoy. And then the best ice cream is at a place called Salt and Straw that was started in Portland, but now has locations in a few different cities, mostly on the West Coast, I think. Um, But there's now a few outposts in San Francisco and L.A. And they have these crazy flavors like salted, malted chocolate chip cookie dough and strawberry honey balsamic and tons of crazy flavors, but they're incredible and uh, unlimited samples. So you can try them all.
0: Or they're very grateful for for that endorsement and we'll have tons of new visitors and customers soon.
2: Yes. I, I don't know. I think I'm like they're I must be their most loyal customer. I think we eat it every single night, almost, and so uh, it's uh, it's part of my 10xing positive vibes is having more salt and straw.
0: <laughs> you're, yeah, you are their recurring revenue that they seek in software businesses.
2: They need a they need a loyalty card. If if anyone there is listening to this, please get a
0: loyalty card. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna D, like we're gonna DM them with this episode or add mm-hmm. them on Twitter, so we'll be sure they hear this.
2: Awesome.
1: Yeah, Talia, you're definitely speaking my language as well thank you again for making the time. On behalf of the DRF
0: family, it's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you all.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Office Hours. To learn more about DRF, visit our website at dormroomfund.com. We'll see you back here next week.